Hey everybody, you're listening to Drawn to Comics, the podcast about a couple of guys that are just drawn to comics. I'm Russ. I'm Ken. Ken's got a mouthful of eggs because we're having breakfast at Bitsy Mama's again. If you listen to our last episode, we recorded here in downtown Glendale at Bitsy Mama's, a little Mexican restaurant across the street from Ken's Drawn to Comics comic book shop. Yes, usually and, uh, it's eggs on the face. Today it's eggs in the face. <laughs> So yeah, we enjoyed the meal so much. We're back. Uh, yes. The food has just arrived, and uh, there's steak more and bacon. Eggs. Yes. Now we got the cow and the pig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Farmer Brown. Yes. <laughs> Old McComic guy loves his farm. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, if you're gonna hear clinking and talking in the background and stuff like that, just pretend you're here at Bitsy Mama's with us. You're in yes. the booth. We you were mean just that's talk- not our mass crowds listening to his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the people that gather at your shop daily in the hopes that we're recording a new episode. Exactly. <laughs> Ken was just talking uh, passionately about. Uh, local college sports and how GCU is the uh, projected Notre Dame of the Valley. Is that right? Yeah, I'm thinking like up-and-comer. I mean, Grand Canyon University has come so far in the past 10 years. And of course, Grand Canyon University has been in the Valley for over 50 to 75 years, Which is hard correct? to believe considering its renaissance lately. Yes. But yeah, it's and not a new school. No, they've been here for like decades. I mean, yeah. uh, it, 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 Grand Canyon University has been here as long as I know, before my time. But it's always been like a private Christian school that has been kind of kept to itself. Sure. And uh, when Jerry Colangelo started becoming a booster and like more involved with Grand Canyon athletics, changed you, everything. It's been insane. I mean, not only just on the athletic side, but on the whole academic side, and the school has become the biggest rising player in the community of colleges out here. And did Jerry come in and just say, you know what, paint everything purple? I need to see purple everywhere, and that yeah, is a sure true. sign for success. Purple and silver, isn't that Grand Canyon's colors? Uh, well, it's just solid branding. Mm-hmm. You go to that area of town, it's funny. There's a car lot across the street from GCU, and it's called GC4U, Great Cars for You. And they've painted their building purple. You would think it's part of the campus. Yeah. Because they've mimicked the font, and they, they painted their, their building that way. So that area, that 35th Avenue and Camelback area, this is super local if you're listening Mm -hmm. outside of the Phoenix area. Sorry about that. But just imagine, picture like a a middle, lower class, metropolitan part of your city suddenly uh, assimilating the identity of a small Christian university that's growing because of its academic and sports programs, all of a sudden, yeah, you have these small businesses that are like... I want to be part of this. Yeah, look at all these new young faces walking around, going to campus, Mm -hmm. renting apartments nearby, buying cars from used lots, affordable lots. Uh, Yeah, this is something to be a part of, you know, so... And it's it's absolutely like amazing to see how that's happened so quick. I mean, like it's interesting too because I'm an ASU grad and you know Sun Devil Pride alum, I, I, but I am an Arizona native, and so I love to see any kind of success taking place in the Valley of the Sun mm. in the metropolitan area because it makes us a more attractive city to be part of. Of course, and it's fun to see a a town that has 
more or less been like a modest growing city becoming something where people want to be part of. Well, modest in that um, our growth hasn't been charted or documented um, considering it's how remarkable it is. I mean, Phoenix yes. in the 1950s is way different than Phoenix in, in the 2000s. It's like two different cities. Right, and that's a relatively short amount of time for a city to grow as fast as ours has from a population of 300,000 to over 3 you know, million. Yeah, 3 million. So, all that said, the schools have been contributing to yeah. it because people are staying out here after they're graduating. It's university. Oh, what are you grabbing? This? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Thank you, dude. It's yeah. university driven gentrification. Yes. Which is really interesting to see because usually gentrification comes from demographics or the arts or city initiatives. And in this case, it's a private university. Pretty yes. crazy. And it's, it's interesting, too, is like that, that the, the, the bigger, more productive cities nationwide have major academic structures in place. Mm-hmm. You go up in the Silicon Valley, you have Stanford and Cal Berkeley. Do you mean those schools fueled the progress of the Silicon Valley? Yeah. That wasn't just because San Francisco was a great place to live. Those those schools built those communities. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And out here it's happening now with Grand Canyon joining ASU as two major academic facilities producing talented workforce sure. in it'd this be, community. It'd be fair to mention, too, that U of A and NAU have downtown campuses. They do. So That's that even downtown more metropolitan it. area, um, there's downtown, midtown, and up and uptown Phoenix, which is all within, like, a three-mile radius, radius of each other. So I think the distinctions are kind of silly. But, um, yeah, that entire area is being defined by its respective university, downtown campuses, and then the businesses that are coming as a result. Young faces mean, you know, different eateries, different vibe, hipster kind of a vibe, millennial kind of a vibe. Compare that to the Phoenix of even 10 years ago. Yes. And uh, it's pretty dramatic. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's exciting. For some people, it's scary. And, uh, well, yeah. with, with all these, like, great new group hip peoples coming into town... What better time to be a pop culture fan? Ooh, nice transition into mm-hmm. our to our podcast. It's our going podcast. somewhere else. So <laughs> nice, dude. Yes. And are you saying that there's no better time to own and operate a comic book store than right now? I just think it's very interesting to see that this time is perfect for a youth movement in Phoenix. Hmm. Yes, as a comic shop owner and a comic book supporter and the industry supporter. Wow. Now. I don't know if that means any of these creators are coming out of these schools, but how cool would it be for ASU or Grand Canyon to embrace a fine arts program around comic books and movie producing, like USC? Well, I know that there have been comic book classes taught, perhaps at Phoenix College. Um, Who's the professor all of my friends have had? Tony Parker? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cool guy. Local guy, he recently moved actually, but um, a lot of my friends have, you know, become uh, apprentices of his or whatever, wards, if you will. Is anybody a ward anymore of someone? Just Dick Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he um, taught my friends a lot, you know, in a short amount of time. So you never know. Give it five years, 
somebody might be breaking into the business that came from one of his classes or programs or because it would a make peripheral program. You never know. It would make perfect sense because there is such, as he said too, like a youth movement out here. Yeah. I mean, plus another thing too I noticed that's starting to happen out here is that they're trying to attract a lot more tech firms. And True. so you just need like one video game company to move out to Phoenix. And I think that would be a huge, huge, huge mecca for students that are fans of what we love moving into this community. Here's my warning to outside organizations that are looking at Phoenix as a growing hub of pop culture because we're L.A. adjacent, you know what I mean? So I think that some folks that study demographics might even argue that Phoenix is a suburb of L.A. I've heard that argument before, actually. I think there's, I think it's a bit of a misnomer. I think it's just kind of a, a glamorized topic in demographic studies. But Where's our ocean? <laughs> <laughs> we're desert. Yeah, so is California, but they got an ocean. We got no desert. Right, and there's a southwestern identity here that can't be denied. I we're mean... like the Tempe of the United States. We're landlocked. <laughs> we got no water around us. <laughs> but uh, outside or- organizations that are thinking about coming in, and I'm thinking about Ace Comic Con specifically that's going to be here in like a month, month yes. and a half at this point. It's not just a money grab. you got to no. invest in the community. Mm-hmm. One thing I really liked about Jimmy J and his traveling amazing Comic Cons, he had an amazing Arizona Comic Con here for three, four years. He's in Vegas now, strong. He's in Hawaii, a couple other places, Texas, I think. He, would, he was out of California, but he flew out here a couple of times preceding the show. He'd have meet and greets with the exhibitors. He'd have drink and draws. He would do whatever it took just to make sure we knew he wasn't some faceless dude taking advantage of our community, of our community and, the, uh, and the artists here. And he really wanted to be a part of the community as much as he could as somebody coming in from the outside. And, of course, yeah, he wants to make money. We all know that. But at the end of the day, he realized that human connection is valuable. Yes. And so organizations like a video game company or a Comic-Con or something like that that's coming into Phoenix and really looking at it as a growing metropolis, you got to do some field study. you got to get your boots on the ground and talk to people to understand what kind of fans we are. Because as human as Jimmy J was, and still is, great guy, yes. his whole crew, uh, that show didn't succeed. Phoenix Comic-Con grows... They have Phoenix uh, Comic Con's Fan Fest as well, which probably pales in comparison to the, the grandeur of Phoenix Comic Con. So we've had amazing Arizona Comic Con come and go. We've had CMX out in Mesa come and I go. I do have a comment about whether or not it didn't succeed or the politics pushed out the creators that didn't want to deal with Arizona. For which one? For Jimmy J's. Oh, okay. Well, because, like, he, you know, Humberto Ramos, George sure. Perez, unfortunately, the Sheriff Joe politics oh, in the Arizona yes. market may have scared away some of his key talent. That's a good point. And, like, Humberto Ramos used to come to Phoenix Comic Con quite regularly mm. or be part of the Ace show. Yeah. Not Ace show, I'm sorry. Jimmy Amazing, J's yeah, Amazing Arizona, Arizona Con before the... The real SB 1070 stuff. Yes. The okay. And then that put a lot of people on edge, especially, like, in California versus Arizona thing. Right, right. And Jimmy J is predominantly a California guy. Sure. And super cool guy. Super, you know, one of the most Christian attitudes I've ever seen of any con runner yeah. that I've ever met. Just a hospitable, down-to-earth, knows me. He knew me by name every yes. show. Yes, uh, always did. The first show, I, I guess I kind of expected it because he was 
new here and growing and wanting to make an impression. Yes. But then I'll tell you what, after that, he had no obligation to remember me by name. Nice, yes. You know what I mean? I'm a regular exhibitor at this point. You got a lot of people you're dealing with. Again, you're dealing with like George Perez, Rob Liefeld level talent. You got to glad hand these guys for an entire weekend, but he always went out of his way to come up to me and shake my hand. And I'll tell you what, I don't think I would get that kind of treatment from the Seamus Brothers over at Ace as a small press or artist alley exhibitor. I could be wrong, yeah, but that's my presumption based on the reputation of that traveling show. I get the impression. I mean, they're they're doing an amazing job getting talent there. But I get the impression that they are the people that run that show are not as hands on. Right. They Maybe have they like have a, people that they are, have a committee but... of people that are yeah. more or less corporately organized. It feels like. Well, what I'm saying ultimately is that we've had a lot of shows here come and go. Mm-hmm. Amazing Arizona Comic Con, CMX out in Mesa, um, a handful of others actually. Their names escape me because they were fleeting one, two-time shows that tried to be a new Phoenix Comic Con. And at the end of the day, is this just a one Comic Con town? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. There's Tucson Comic Con an hour and a half south. Yeah. There's uh, Phoenix Comic Con's Fan Fest around the same time. Tucson has its own identity, but I think Fan Fest sh- suffers in the shadow of both its paternal show, Phoenix Comic Con, and Tucson. So it's not a strong downtown Phoenix Comic Con like Phoenix is, like Phoenix Comic Con is. So again, is this just a one Comic Con show uh, uh, town? And if it is, there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I, I do think it's time because I see a lot of other big cities doing two cons a year. Right. And is Phoenix and we make, big enough to do that in this city? Here's the thing, too, is the Phoenix Comic Con is in May or early June, depending on the year, which is smack dab basically in the middle of the year and at the beginning of traditional mm-hmm. Comic Con season. So when you put a show in February, as Jimmy J did and now Ace is doing as well, you know, like winter. Yes. You have a show that's just four months apart from our mainstay show. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do another show following Phoenix after con season, when it gets cooler, like in September or October, as they do with FanFest or Tucson, again, are you going to get as strong a showing as you would for Phoenix Comic Con? So in other words, I think Phoenix Comic Con's timing is so perfect that mm-hmm. to put a show on either side of it, it suffers. Now, if we had a show... In March, and we had a show in October. That would make sense. With nothing in between. By the way, because it's hot as hell here in between those years, those months. Yeah, yeah, it's not stopping people from doing Phoenix Comic Con. But just think, if we had a show in March and in October, would those would those two shows be Phoenix Comic Con sized? Without conflicting with one another and without ultimately oversaturating our scene. So I think that's what we are in danger of right now is an oversaturation of failed attempts, really, when you think about it. The one thing I see Ace doing differently that uh, I did not see that uh, Amazing Arizona Comic Con or any of these other cons do, except there was one con that tease coming out here, but they didn't get enough interest, so they just kind of bolted out here at the couple... <laughs> I want to say it was like 2007, 2008, something called like AdventureCon. Oh, okay. They were going to be at Cardinal Stadium, and they were trying to gauge interest, and they just never got it off the ground. Oh, interesting. That's before my time here, so... And, um... But they were out of Tennessee, which was weird. Hmm. And I remember, like, they were... You know, they were taking money, unfortunately, and... Just never got off the ground. It just seems interesting to me. You know, I have a, a friend, our friend, the Janimal. He runs a show out up in Cottonwood, up 300, 500 attendees. So it's one of those old school, intimate, 
artists at a table. People can walk up and hear you talk kind of a thing. And then you have Phoenix Comic Con where it's tens of thousands of people. They're, Tucson is growing to that extent now. Yes. I mean, it started as... Well, Tucson's pulling people from El Paso, from New Mexico, right. from Phoenix. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they'll pull people from L.A. or San Diego or not, but well, it's, it's, a, it's an easy drive up the eight, Yeah, you know, from Tucson to San Diego. I mean, there's no break east. Yeah. Or how would you say it? I guess it would be break north sure. between Tucson and San Diego. It's just eight straight down. Well, Tucson's growing to tens of thousands of numbers as well. Mm-hmm. So where is that sweet spot? where it's a couple thousand people. So if you're attending, it feels like, ah, there's a lot of people here and I'm a part of something. If you're exhibiting, you're selling, and you're feeling, ah, there's a lot of people here, but it's not so overwhelming that I can't sell. There's no sweet in-between a That's mega where... show and a little a little a small-town show. A mega show and a small-town show. That's no in-between. Ace is kind of in that, I don't want to say in-between, but a, a, a big show feel. But in an in-between size. Oh, I don't know. I think it'll start in between. But if after the first year meeting uh, Captain America and Spider-Man, you know, goes well for everyone, they'll come back next year with stronger and more. Stronger and more. I mean, Ace is in, I think, New York. Yes. This month or last month with the Justice League. Yeah, the whole. I mean, practically everybody except Batman. Yes. You know what I mean? No Ben, but. Everybody else is there. Henry Cavill's doing a sweet little contest where it's like find stuff around the convention floor, let me know, and you get exclusives from him. You know, so it's, that's cool, you know? It makes you wonder, uh, can a show sustain if you're not doing that, if, you're not, if you don't have that kind of marquee talent? Yeah, and that's where I've seen these other shows come along and push Phoenix Comic Con to the next level. Mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as that they had this whole Ace thing announced, I mean, I've been saying, dude, where's Scott Snyder for the past, like, seven years? Mm. Like, sure why isn't Scott Snyder here? Yes. Yeah. And I tried asking Scott Snyder to come to the store over these past seven years, and he says, you can fly my whole family out. I'd be glad to come. Mm. And I'm kind of going... Whole family. I'm one comic shop. Right. I'm just trying to fly you out. I can't afford, you know, you, your wife, and two kids. I can't afford the Snyder Grand Fam, the Grand Canyon trip. Yeah, and I love Scott Snyder. I'm one of the biggest Scott Snyder fans, you know, over the past eight years mm-hmm. that you could ever meet. Of course. And, um, but I just had like I have my limits as a store owner, but as a comic con, they're looking at it as the fact that we could fly out three other creators, right, for that family of four that were paying for Scott Snyder to come out here. Mm-hmm. But when you see something like Ace come into town, we get Greg Capullo no problem. Oh, but sure. if we get Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, that's us being a comic show again. Right. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think that was like they were getting the reputation of being, we're more actors, we're more, right. do you know what I mean? We're yes. more Hollywood than yeah. we are comics. Leave, leave that to Ace is what you're saying. Yes. Let and them then, foster the fan community here. But and then, then Phoenix has already got that. They already known right. as being actors. Right. But they're saying like Ace, you know, they have all the, they're focused on the whole thing of the big name actors too. Right. And they have a great group of comic creators that's better, I would say, than most of the Phoenix Comic Con creator list, and Ace isn't even focused on that. Right. And I'm sure the Phoenix Comic Con people saw that and going, holy crap, look at all these creators that are comic creators. John right. Amita Jr., Todd McFarlane, Stan Lee, and their big draws are Chris Evans and Tom Holland. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap, we got someone that's here to play. Yeah. You know, they're not just trying to be like another fly-by-night con. They're testing to see how 
true of a right. fan base we have right. here. You yeah. think what we're doing is cool? Look what this is going to bring in. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that. Are we going to have to up our game to this level? Or is this going to be way too overpriced and the yeah. fans are going to be just cozy with what we're doing? Well, and here's the thing. I think there are two kind of fans, too. There are fans that go to a, a local Comic-Con to meet local talent and shop from local vendors and, and thumb through back-issue boxes. But Comic-Con's not that con. Not anymore, mm-hmm. no. It used to be when it was called Cactus Con. got people coming from all around. The There's day. people coming from Australia yeah, to go see go to this Comic-Con. Con. Yeah, because it's an affordable alternative to San Diego. You could yes. actually get in and enjoy a little vacation, too. Yeah, you have Diego shut down is. streets. You have fire drills that are putting us in the streets. <laughs> right. Right? I but mean, I mean, you know, you go to San Diego and it is ordeal. It's a beautiful town to be in, but man, you yeah. got to get a room. It's going to cost you hundreds of dollars. Well, the whole city's embraced San Diego Comic Con. Right. I mean, right. there's still businesses in downtown Phoenix that really haven't engaged the fact right. that Phoenix Comic Con is a culture that they can totally embrace Absolutely. and be part of that weekend. Yeah. Restaurants I mean, around, not just around the convention center, but peripheral, off the light rail. Yes. Can you imagine if the Comic-Con scene spread through Phoenix as as widely as it does through San Diego? Dude, how has, for instance, the Arizona Diamondbacks, how do they not schedule that as a road weekend for the Diamondbacks so Chase Field can embrace what's going on at Phoenix Comic-Con the same way that Petco does Uh, with San Diego? They don't even look at that kind of stuff. Yeah, good same, point. Same How many times have I walked out of a Phoenix Comic Con day, and there's a Suns game going on? Yeah, or there's a yeah something happening. Make the sure the Suns are on the road in your scheduling. Mm-hmm. You put you rent out your arena to all those fanboys. You hold panels. You do stuff like that. Is the same thing that San Diego does with Comic Con, and Phoenix Comic Con does become San Diego like they want to. Sure. But the city, for whatever reason, either they're not communicating with the city, or the city hasn't embraced it as that big of a deal to make sure that they have a whole new fan base coming into downtown to experience what happens in downtown besides what's at the convention center. Yeah, you want to revitalize that downtown as they've been trying to do for, it seems like, over a decade now. First it was the Arizona Center. Now it's uh, Stand Up Live in that area. You have all the students down there at ASU, downtown campus. students, like we were just talking about, bringing it all together. And And you uh, can't tell me the students at ASU would not embrace that Comic-Con weekend. And it's crazy because it's really close to... That, that weekend, I would move it to the beginning of May rather than the end of May. Because you lose a lot of students bolting that first, second weekend sure. of May going back home. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, that doesn't seem to hurt Comic-Con at all with its numbers. But, no, but there is a demo there that, yeah, your casual If you student. get, like, Chase Field involved and yeah. the um, – used to be U.S. Airways there. Now it's like – Talking some, stick yeah, arena. talking yep. stick arena. And it's just there's so many things to do in downtown Phoenix – that could be part of the Comic-Con weekend. Like, imagine a Walking Dead walk through Chase Field like they do at Petco. Do you well, know what I mean? yeah, and there are zombie walks and stuff like that. They shut down streets for that kind of thing. But, yeah, you wouldn't have to shut down a street if you had the cooperation of the arenas, mm-hmm. you know, just like you say in San Diego. Because, yes, yeah, San Diego's downtown around the convention center That parking lot that's right in the center there that is, yeah. like, between, like, the – it's right across from um, – Talking Stick Arena. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's right in the middle, the center. Like, there's the, the restaurants yeah, right across the street. Yep. And there's, like, businesses there. You turn that into kind of like what they do with Wendell Glitters. Sure. During Phoenix Comic Con, and there's vendors well, that yeah, are all in there, San too. Diego does that. They do. They, do, it that, they do that parking lot yeah. that's just adjacent to the arena. Yeah, there. Cartoon Network uh, and all the AMC, AMC sets yep. up there. They set up huge 
tents with inflatables, and it's awesome. They have the car-wrapped, you know, like superhero vehicles. They did the Jim Lee art auction over there one year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do outdoor supplemental activities there, evening activities there. And what's that going to do? Phoenix Comic Con is going to get people that invest in them, not them trying to invest to get them out there. Right. They're going to want to be part of the event, and they'll like, okay, cool. We want to buy into that space that you're sharing with Chase Field and with – Talking Stick Resort and mm-hmm. with the city of Phoenix to rent out that parking lot. Sure. Those are things that I yeah, don't think Phoenix Comic Con staff has even tapped into. Like you want you don't want other people coming in to try to take advantage saying like they're a bigger show. Yeah. Prove it to them. Right. There's no way that we can compete with Phoenix Comic Con. Right. Because here's the big problem that's happening is people are looking at Phoenix Comic Con and they see opportunities. Of course. Sure. And that's why I saying like, you know, not just because of the fact of the fan base, they're not maximizing their potential. And I know they do an amazing job. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to rip on Phoenix Comic Con because what they've done in this community in 15 years is amazing. Yeah, unbelievable. But if they want to be like San Diego, like I hear them say over and over and over again, look at the city, not just the convention center. Excellent point, my friend. Excellent point. I mean, speaking from a small press artist's alley exhibitor perspective, I know a lot of my peers would probably hear this and think, what are you talking about? There's already a Geico trailer taking up the uh, equivalent of an entire row of artist sally tables. Why would push we it outside. Push it outside. Yep, push it outside. That's what San Diego did. It's like San Diego Comic Con. When you go into San Diego Comic Con, the main convention hall, yeah. that's comic books and Hollywood only. It's Hollywood, the, I mean, video not, games, comic books. Yes. That's what it is. And everyone says like it's more Hollywood five, culture, yeah. but they didn't put AMC inside. AMC got the space outside. Right. You already have your grandfather people in there because they've already probably got their 10, yeah, 15 year contract. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. they're not pushing out more comic book fans. So, oh, the comic book back issue section is getting smaller. Mm-hmm. I'm going, no, it's people aren't paying as much to be part of it because it is getting expensive to be in there. Right. I mean, right. once again, I'm going to get reamed on here too, but Mr. Mile High Comics, I don't want to sit there and try to pick any fights with yeah, the well. biggest retailer in the nation, <laughs> but even they were kind of like priced out a little bit sure. of like the fact that they felt they were disrespected because they've been there since the beginning of time of San right. Diego Comic Con. Right. And he was priced to a point. It's like that. Dude, it's like, you know, how much are you going to try to milk out of me? Yeah. And he does. He gets like five or six spaces. Do you know what I mean? It's not like that. He's got like a tiny one square thing. He gets a whole back wall that goes from like, you know, halfway from entrance to entrance at a San Diego Comic-Con. So, I mean, just to do some simple math, it's like, do you charge $800 for an exhibitor to have that kind of booth space? Or do you parse that out? To five tables, you can charge two hundred bucks for, it, and you make an extra two hundred, a thousand dollars total. Mm-hmm. That's the position Comic Cons are now. So many people yeah. want to be in that room. You have to make your choices. But yeah, as an organizer, you got to make your choices. And it's a whole political thing. I mean, the convention center knows how successful that show is. Oh, for sure. They want to take advantage of it, so if their rates go up, Comic-Con has to meet or beat those rates to stay uh, profitable. So it's this vicious cycle where, like, you're you're a slave to your own success. That's where you get the city to keep on trying to invest in it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like the city of Phoenix can probably, if they see the value of what Phoenix Comic Con can bring the same way it does to San Diego, it takes someone to be communicating with the city of making this a priority that you maximize everything around. You talk to the Diamondbacks. You talk to the Suns. You make sure that their scheduling leaves open Comic Con weekend because that's an important way of funding our city during this weekend. You talk to the cab companies. You talk to Uber. Mm -hmm. You talk to the pedicabs because... 
folks have to step away from where the, the streets are blocked in front of the convention center to get some public transportation. Because that's an issue, they usually drive down and park, pay 50, 60 bucks. Yes, that goes in the city's pocket, but that creates an, an, a bad morale, a bitter taste in a lot of attendees' mouths. Yeah. If you can accommodate public transportation, promote the light rail as a part of, as a part of the show, Maybe even do a light rail zombie ride, yeah, just to get people on that train. That's city money too. So, thing, yeah, we're just talking about the fact. I apologize, I mean, you're up there. Just no, like Phoenix Comic Con. We just talked about people coming in from Australia. Right. Phoenix should look at this as an opportunity to showcase your city for a weekend for people to move here. Mm-hmm. That's not just like one weekend of tax dollars. That is lifetimes of tax dollars. Phoenix is the quickest growing population. Next to Atlanta, I think, in the nation right wow, now. Wow, really? That's why I heard someone say statistically, like, Phoenix and Atlanta are the two biggest growing populations nationwide well, right Atlanta now. Atlanta has family feud. They film family feud. Yeah, well, they film Walking Dead there, too. Oh, well, they... You know, like, when Atlanta gives tons of tax breaks to Hollywood, too, as well, which is something that I kind something of believe Arizona's that Arizona stopped yeah. doing that, because yeah. they used to... They, we used to be the Atlanta 10, 15 years ago, where people wanted to come out here to film, but then someone got into office and said, why aren't we taxing these people more? Sure. I'm kind of going, well, you know, because you're putting your name of your city in the spotlight. Florida does great with that. You've seen, like, these TV shows where they got the Florida key sure. on the end of it. Yeah. Atlanta's got the Georgia peach at yeah, the end Atlanta's, of it. Uh, Toronto's. Or I think it's Toronto's king at it. Because how many Avengers movies get filmed well, in Toronto? Toronto or Vancouver, yeah. Yeah, Toronto or Vancouver. Yep. I'm sorry, dude. Yep. And it's... Um, Things like where the state has, the city has so many opportunities because we are, I mean, it's almost like that. Well, we don't have to worry about it. People are just moving here naturally. It's like not only you're, if you're attracting people, you're going to start, as I said, too, attracting factories the same way the universities are. Yeah. Because you're going to need jobs out here for these people. And then if these people see these talented people moving into the community, that's when those factories show up. I used to get so mad at the mayor of Glendale. I shouldn't say this out loud again, too. But when the Super Bowl was here. Mamas? What are you I know, doing? Dude, I, know, be, I know he might be in here. I was kidding. But um, so mad at the fact of the passion that I have to want to see this community grow in a positive direction. Well, Not mad at the decisions they're making, yeah. but some of the choices that are passed by. Mm-hmm. Um, the but, decisions they aren't making. That's, what, yes. that's what's frustrating. And like that, the, the mayor of Glendale's pushing oh, the coyotes out of town right. as hard as he can, it seemed like. And maybe yeah. I'm not understanding all the politics behind that, but there's been like a huge push that we don't need the coyotes taking money from our city anymore. Right. But yet, when Bill Bidwell and Michael Bidwell, when the Super Bowl was here a couple years ago with the Patriots and the Seahawks, yeah, 2015. Um, he organized a meeting with any mayor that wanted to come down to be part of this meeting Sure. With the Cardinals yeah. and the more or less inviting big corporations to come explore the valley and talk to the, the, the mayors about trying to work deals to get these corporations to build factories in mm. Phoenix. And guess which mayor didn't show up? You got to be kidding me, man. Mayor Wires was not there. Whoa. And that kind of like disappoints well, me a little bit. And I've said too, too it's like, I don't think Mary even listened to the show. But if he does, it's like you've done a lot of cool things to try to push Glendale the right direction. But at the same time, you got to take advantage of those opportunities and not let them pass you by no matter what's going on at your church or you what's going what? on with a, like something else. You have a meeting-wise. You put that meeting on hold and reschedule it. Yeah, you're the Who's mayor, more important than meeting with business owners that are coming into your community that a Cardinals organization, right. an NFL sports team, has organized to try to get more people to move into our community because they know they'll be able to sell more tickets for years to come. Absolutely. If you have corporations that are going to come in and buy 
group ticket packages for their employees yeah. as perks. And that's what the Cardinals are looking at. It's an optics so, issue, too. I mean, just go. Just be yeah, there. Be there. Be, yeah. Send somebody to be there. Yeah. Somebody or, with the city of Glendale name yeah. tag on. Just, and maybe just there was, present. but the mayor himself, if other mayors are there, right. and the businesses are talking to these other cities' mayors, and they're not talking, they're talking to some, like, assistant of the mayor. Yeah. Who do you think they're going to want to do business with? Right. Mesa? Tempe? Look at Tempe. Have you seen Tempe over the past 25 years? I've been there. I drive by the 202 quite often because I have family that lives over in Gilbert. I see these high-rises in Tempe. Yeah, There's crazy. only two cities, <laughs> Phoenix and Tempe, that right. have high-rises that look like they're, like, the cities of the future. Sure. Glendale's the oldest city here in the state when it comes to, like, metropolitan cities. Right. Yep. But... There's one city building. There's a you know. There's a Bank of America building, and there's a city building. Yeah. That's right in the heart of downtown Glendale. Yeah. And that's all you get for the progression that you feel like the city's making. But that's the thing. The valley as a whole. There's so many opportunities that Phoenix Comic Con can contribute to the growth of this community just by the city embracing how popular pop culture is the same way San Diego has the past 10 years. And the only reason we're really fired up about this, and if you don't live in Phoenix, maybe you don't find this to be a very interesting conversation, but I think it is because, I mean, if you're not living in one of the major coastal cities like New York or Look Los what Angeles. Disneyland did for Anaheim. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you don't live in a major coastal city, well, in Anaheim is arguably Los Angeles, it's all the L.A. metro area, but uh, Orange County, L.A., it's all connected. And even San Diego, Southern yeah. California is a region that kind of thrives with this. Well, they're so, so New progressive. York and New York Comic Con. Yeah, like, if you're living in the middle of the country and maybe you have a Comic Con that comes through and you get some great talent and it's like, man, that's just a once a year, you know, oh, man. I, Dude, we can, why Chris do we do that Evans and Tom Holland, Captain America and Spider-Man are coming to Phoenix right. in, January. in January. This, this is not... Hollywood. This is not Broadway. Right. This is Phoenix, Arizona, much less Glendale, Arizona. Well, and during its much most less, that's a good time of year. I mean, like that, something else that, you know, if this gets big and it stays in Glendale, Glendale should do the exact same thing. Westgate, embrace what's happening here, dude. You got like Steve Rogers and Peter Parker <laughs> in your backyard at Westgate, in the center of Westgate. Mm-hmm. The Coyotes Arena is inside Westgate. Do you know what I mean? But. At the same time, it's like that. I don't even know if they know what's going on. Well, they have to know because they're, they're, you know, like, yeah, there's yeah. taxes involved. But ultimately, we're passionate about this. I got a mouthful of steak and eggs right now, but I'm sorry. We're passionate about this because we are close to the scene. Ken's close to the industry, and I'm close to the creators in the valley that have have established and are growing in an evolving counterculture artistic movement. Oh, for sure. And it's it's almost becoming mainstream. The counterculture is almost becoming mainstream culture. More than it's ever been in the history I've seen. Arizona has a reputation Since, like, for being... Since, like, World War II. Yeah, <laughs> Don't well, mean. right. Because Arizona has a reputation for being <coughs> a conservative state, the Old West, mm-hmm. um, the land of Arpaio, you know, mm-hmm. surefire Trump votes, red state, that kind of thing. This but we are close to, to a more yeah it, we're purple we're getting purple, purple and we are close to the young minds that are helping that transition so when we see opportunities that are corporate based like at Comic Con or in, as you've been talking about these sports teams and stuff 
it's like, man, we're so close, but we don't want to wait 50 years. We're going to be old men by then. I know. We want this to happen now because we're feeling the energy of it now. And if 50 years from now, when we're old men and it's, it, it's achieved its potential, we're going to be like, ah, oh, we remember when. You know what I mean? But we re- we don't want to remember. We want to experience. We want to so, help it grow. Yeah, that's where it's the like passion's that. coming from. This is the opportunity yeah. for people around us to not just watch it grow, but find ways to make it grow. Right, right. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, that's pretty much it. So Because in 50 years from now, like, we'll be looked at as like that, wow, dude, you know, maybe Russ and Ken did something to help make this what it was. Well, and think about it. The Pacific Northwest wasn't what it is now 20, 30 years ago before no. the internet boom. So can you imagine that if that became the new hub of, you know, it used to be Hollywood, that migrated north. Now, yeah. what if... And if we're a suburb of L.A., they're calling us? Well... If we're a suburb of L.A., that could easily move towards right. us. It could move east. Yeah. You know, my whole theory about Manifest Destiny was we progressed west, and then when we hit the coast, when we hit the end of the country, we ended up creating a land where we can imagine more, and that's Hollywood. It's right mm-hmm. there on the coast where once America ran out of land for, for man to be on, we started coming up with other lands, make-believe worlds, make-believe yeah. stories. We continued the journey through imagination. Now I think even that's reached its bubble, and man's starting to bounce back and go back east and mining the areas of our country that haven't been completely explored for their potential. And that's Arizona, That's the Pacific Northwest, yeah. and that's Arizona. So the bounce back of Manifest Destiny, it would be like Manifest Destiny 2.0, or even 3.0 at this point. Phoenix could be the hub of that creative energy in America and we see it you and I see it all the time yep so and we have to embrace it so it doesn't become Las Vegas right. it doesn't become Salt Lake City absolutely it doesn't become Albuquerque there you go it doesn't become Denver now what do you mean when you say that though? it's because you said too they're moving the opposite direction right Phoenix is one of the stops yep but, we don't want to be passed by for those. Yes, for those I mean like what if these if Denver's offering a better experience than sure. Phoenix yeah then where are people going to move? Do you know what I mean? Like Albuquerque is like the, like we, like we can say we got Albuquerque beat to the poop right now. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because Albuquerque is a city that's just happy being what they are. I drove through Albuquerque. It's like that. Okay, great. There's a scene of Breaking Bad. Yeah. That's it's their claim to fame. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal city. Yeah. But you look at Salt Lake City, you look at Denver. Yeah. These are towns that are progressively seeing the opportunities that LA's offer. Salt Lake City. Just as much know, as Phoenix here. Ten years ago, Salt Lake City, Mormon capital of the mm-hmm. country. But now it's got one of the biggest common cons yes. in the country Dude, they, every year. They, they grew exponentially. Denver as well, actually. Because so, the city's embracing yeah, it. This is proving our, our point. Mm-hmm. We're literally just like, oh, we're right! Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's just like that, where, you know, once again, Seattle and Portland. Sure. You know, they're moving more up the coast. We love yeah. this coastline. Yeah. But then I said, too, like, when's it going to become Boise? When's it going to become, sure. do you know what I mean? But yeah. heading east up and there, too. And people in Boise might be listening to this right now thinking, it is. It's here. Yeah. You know, we yeah. just don't know it because it's not mainstream uh, information yet but yeah there could be people in those towns that are like yeah we're seeing this counterculture thing you know the whole keep austin weird and it's in our town now keep boise weird keep phoenix weird you know what i mean so yes and i said to these these borderline states that are west of texas i think it's the more or less you look from like texas west sure but then everything that's in the middle of the country is like still gonna be your okay well that's still too far away from either coast Right. Do you know what I mean? And and Texas is its own thing because Texas is just freaking. They're like their own nation <laughs> that just have the states by name. You know, like yeah, we're part of the United States, but mm-hmm. oh, you try to get us to pay taxes. <laughs> <laughs> You're just happy that we're uh, you know we're uh, we're giving you guys income taxes. There's yeah. no sales tax. 
in Texas, from what I understand. <laughs> and I'm going, wow. I mean, they said, like, property taxes are big, but, you know, Texas got to make their own money somehow. But mm-hmm. it's interesting to see like that. Uh, you know, Texas is kind of that town that more or, or state that represents the United States as a whole. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. You have your ocean. Right. You have your big cities in Dallas. You have your small towns. I mean, Texas is like a United States of one. Yeah. yeah. It's like you get a little bit of everything that could be foundation. Austin, sure. it's like your artist city. Right. You know, Dallas, your progressive city. San sure. Antonio is kind of like your um, middle, like I would almost say like an East Coast type of city. Okay. You know, like your Boston type of city, oh, okay. I would almost sure. say. But then I see Dallas is your New York. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you have your ocean towns down right. there. Here's my just, question. How have you talked the most but finished your meal first? How did that happen? Oh, Were man. <laughs> my, my mouth is like a vacuum cleaner. That's why I said, too, like my doctor, you need to stop that. But you you're need... sucking it in, blowing out. You're... <laughs> yes. I said, too, it's like that. It's not eggs on my face. It's eggs in my face. <laughs> Well, hey, you know what? Let's talk about something comic book related. Yeah, no, for sure. Is- um, you don't watch the Arrowverse shows on the CW, do you? I heard the Crisis took place this week, and the I crisis? missed the Supergirl one. I thought I was recording Supergirl too. Oh, okay. But I must have had like a conflict of programming because oh, I'm man. taping too many programs. Well, I'll tell I heard you, that's where it started. You can stream them all on the CW app or website now. I know that. Is it amazing? I probably will. Dude, I gotta tell you. God, I wanted to see it that so bad. I saw that so advertised. Good. I mean, I watch these shows regularly anyway. My girlfriend yes. and I watch them every week we don't watch arrow as much and that seems to be the common trope like arrow um he jumped the shark well uh, i don't want to say that but like when they tied up season three of him and felicity yeah. driving off in the sunset i go that's a perfect ending of the tv up. series yeah and then also like next year it's like that oh well let's do queen city or was it what's it star city, star city yeah, yeah without green arrow just have me diggle and you know, uh, oh gosh, dude, Harper. Sure, and, sure. You know, and all those people. And then also, like, by the end of that first episode, oh, we got to call Ollie back. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I got to tell you, though, man. Go ahead. Bro. I, you know, the crisis got me thinking maybe I should be watching Arrow. If they can maintain this tone. Is it epic right now? It was so. Th- those four episodes. Yes. Edit them together into a master cut. Movie. Improve some of the special effects. Yes. It is television budget. You put that on the on the movie screen. That's the Justice League movie people are clamoring for. Not that yeah. I didn't like Justice League, which I really did. But this Crisis dude was unbelievable. It was like. It was like a, um, a fantasy football league of superheroes, only because there are so many, like, B, C, D list characters. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Gentlemen. Um, the adventure is high. The stakes are high. The personal Perfect. investment of the Thank characters is cool, but not at the expense of the stakes. Like, I hate when a, a superhero story on TV or in the movies um, is so involved in the character's personal life that you don't really get a sense that the world is in peril. Oh, wow, yes. You know what I mean? Like, that was Spider-Man 3. That was one of its flaws. Sandman is connected to Uncle Ben's yes, murder. Many, yeah. Venom's got the, the hard on for Spider-Man. Is the city in danger, or is this just, just a just bad Peter day in Peter Parker's, Parker's yeah. life? And if so, why should I ultimately care as a general audience viewer? But man, at the end of the day, like Nazis could have taken over the Earth yes. if these guys didn't succeed. On top of the fact that they... Um, so went back to World War II type of thing on it? Earth-X is a parallel world where the Nazis won. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, and I think it exists in the DC yeah. multiverse as well. There's a planet where the Nazis won. 
but as a result, you get these doppelgangers. I don't know what they're doing for the story for this, though. That's awesome. Oh, man. It was, the villains are doppelgangers of... The Justice League, the, it sounds like. Of these heroes, yeah. yeah. So you get a Dark Arrow. That's you sick. get Overgirl instead of Supergirl. You yeah. get the Reverse Flash. Oh, and they are gosh. part of the Reich. That's epic. And they want to take over Earth-1 at the expense of our heroes and Barry and Iris's wedding. Wow. And I mean... There's sacrifice and loss. There's uh, fun and humor. Such a great story. Dude, dude. I got to see this then. This is awesome. I was going, man, I, I want to see this because I saw the promo poster. Yeah. It I'm made it look like one of the it. old Justice League covers with the different characters, the way they had the different Earths so there. Yeah. Yeah, oh, no, it this was looks so like good. an old Justice League still, 70s cover poster. They still didn't utilize every hero. They could have. They could have. I mean, they've yeah. introduced Elongated Man. He wasn't wow. a part of the adventure as much. All the peripheral hair, uh, characters in Arrow weren't utilized. Like, we saw Mr. Terrific. Did and, Blue uh, Beetle show up? Uh, we didn't see Blue Beetle. Why? Is he in it? Is he in one of the shows? Blue Beetle was in the Crisis on Infinite Earth. Oh, no. But that'd be cool if they showed him up yet. We've heard of Cord Industries and stuff, but uh, they introduced to the Ray. Nice. Wow. Um, Yeah, he was one of the Freedom Fighters, as he was. Yes. Um, He's one of the Freedom Fighters on Earth-X, alongside Citizen Cold. Wow. A variant of Captain Cold. Yes. uh, Played by the same actor, Wentworth Miller. Like, I don't want to get too much into it and give give away too many spoilers. But, I mean, right up until the last episode, they were introducing new characters into the adventure. And, okay, now here here they are. Here they are. And, of course, it culminates in that amazing fight scene where you get the panorama of all these heroes involved. And I'm telling you, if the DC universe... Could seize that spirit on the cinematic side. Yes, it would be Marvel. All over like, this show is Marvel-esque in its scope and its passion and its truthfulness to the characters' core. Maybe not, maybe not so much specific comic book stories, but the characters' core. Cores, it was phenomenal. I was like a child watching. I, I do get the impression that the DC TV verse aims more at the comic book fan. Yeah, more than the DC movie verse, and that the DC, I. Th- wonder if that Warner Brothers sees that if we can get four good shows going each week Mm -hmm. on the CW the advertising dollars we pull in from that and the budget we have to spend to make it is so much more profitable than making our big blockbuster movies that have to put so much more money into it do you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. like we can get how many is it? 13 episodes per season? 22, I think. 22 episodes per season? Okay, 22 times 4, 88 opportunities to sell advertising dollars Mm -hmm. out of these four shows that cost us less to make than one Justice League movie. Absolutely. What's more profitable for us to do? Well, in January, they're introducing Black Lightning. He's getting his own show. So there's five shows. Yes. Not to mention iZombie is a Vertigo show. That's true. Lucifer on Fox is a Vertigo show. And that's network primetime dollars that are major funnel funding for the movies if they want. Yeah. Or the fact that it's more profitable for them to do it on TV than it is on the silver screen. Absolutely. And they just have to compete with Disney. So they make a movie. Do you know what I mean? But it's not their focus of what's the priority here, the TVs or the movies. we got to keep our TV strong because that's going to be our cash cow. The TV was strong. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
to me, that crossover was the complete potential of the, I don't know what they can do next. Plus, that pushes Honestly. Blu-ray sales, too. Absolutely. Because when the season's over, yeah. if they if it's talked about of how epic this was, and they're pushing things more towards, like, the CW app, yeah. or, do you know what I mean? Because you can't, you can't get CW on Hulu or Netflix until the season's over. Right. And Because <clears throat> I used to love watching CW on Hulu, and I'm going, sure. oh, crap, dude, they took CW off of Hulu, so I have to get the app now. But well, then you have to pay for that app. That's if they because, keep their programming yeah. strong. As we've talked before, all of these networks we'll are going to have app. their own apps. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon it's going to be like a cable situation, but via app or streaming service. Yeah, they're hybriding. I yeah. mean, it's like that. Dude, it's like we see what Hulu Netflix have done to our network TV. Yeah. Let's make sure that we make sure we put up a good quality product that people are going to want to pay for. What's interesting is as a comic book, as a fan that enjoys comic book adaptations, and I've tried to watch as many of them as I could. Gotham didn't sit well with me. Like I said, Arrow. Thank Fox. Yeah, well, Arrow didn't sit well with me. I don't watch Lucifer. I tried to watch Powerless on NBC. They canceled it before I think it reached yeah, its I like Powerless. That was I a fun show. I liked it. I liked the idea that we got like main F-list characters on that yes. show. Yeah, Bruce Wayne's cousin. <laughs> right, right. But who was the... The Crimson Fox, I think, yes. was like the mainstay hero, yeah. the Olympian. I mean, really deep cuts. But at the same yes. time, they're name dropping yeah, everybody characters. else. Yeah, yeah, mainstream characters. But um, it's interesting that as a fan, like when the streaming services reach their zenith, and every network has one, I will want I'll want the CW and AMC. Yes. For uh, Walking Comic Book Men, Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman's Secret History of the Comic Book. That's been really good, too. Yeah, it's been really good. I love that that Stanley Jack Kirby one. Oh, my gosh. Dude, I was thinking about you the whole time I was watching it. I was going, dude, Russ would love this. I'm sure he's seen it. How close was that to our first few episodes of Kirby for a day on YouTube? Man, dude, when it came to, um, well, like, that we were being on the creative side of it. Yeah. They were just more or less being on the research side of it. And just how... um, I didn't realize that, uh, man, dude, that the radio show that Jack Kirby and Stan Lee made up with each other was unbelievable. I mean, talk, people talk about Stan Lee being an ego guy. Stan Lee's the one that brought that back together. Mm-hmm. Do you mean? Like, Stan Lee could have said, you know what, Jack, if you got to stick up your ass, that's your own problem. Sure. But Stan Lee cared enough about what Jack Kirby did during their time together that, right. yes, yeah, Stan Lee was kind of like at, they were at odds. They were kind of like they had enough of each other. Sure. What Stan did is stretch out that olive branch before Jack Kirby did. Absolutely. And it was sure. great to see like that Stan recognized how much Jack Kirby did for him, and it wasn't his fault that he was the engaging person. Sure. Because they talk about like that Jack Kirby unfortunately wasn't very likable with the media. Yeah. He didn't have that engaging personality that Stan Lee did. Sure. Stan Lee was the guest speaker and Jack, you know, he's like that dude. I want, you know, when Stan didn't always talk about Jack, that's what bothered Jack. Sure. And and Stan, I don't think he was really thinking about the kind of impact because it was him there, not Jack, during those conferences that he was doing at the colleges. Yeah. And I could see Stan being, you know, somewhat focused on the thing of like that. They want me to speak about my experiences. Right. And at the same time, he didn't realize that impact of that... I'm forgetting about Jack Kirby here. Sure. And, and Jack was seeing that as Jack, like that dude. And Ditko. And, and Ditko, uh, yeah. Rita and there's Bushima. A lot of names you could throw in, into that mix. And, um, but for yeah. Jack, Stan to realize that when they did that radio show, when they started off at odds, and then Stan's like, oh, yeah, dude, we, we got we to end this. Do you sure. know what I mean? We have to make sure that we're on the same page again. Yeah. And then it was interesting to see that Jack Kirby's wife said no 
to that like 1980s thing that they were wasn't there something like that said like where Stan and Jack came together to party one time where Jim Shooter I supposedly introduced them again to each other and they started this. talking and they were like old times things and then yeah. Stan says we need to do one more project together oh and Joan said no yeah and Joan said no yeah <clears throat> and that would have been like the final Stan and Jack project that kind of crushed me a little bit too as well as like that Joan trying to I'd said to you remember what this guy did to you remember how horrible you felt let's not do it again yeah and I think and I can um, see that as a, a point too there too because the stuff that Stan and Jack made together is is undeniable gold absolute classics can you imagine if that last project wasn't great you know what I mean like when Jack revisited the new gods Dude, and finally Stan survived the D- Stan survived the DC debacle well but that's Jack did you mean no or Stan Stan you because remember mean? like DC like Stan Lee reimagines oh well this would have been before that no yeah but, 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 but like like Stan like going yeah. to DC to do something that like, has become like a debacle yeah 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 because that was a debacle yeah DC no I'm saying he survived it, but the Lee. work hasn't survived you know what I no, mean no that's, that's true. what I'm saying yeah. can you imagine I mean the Stan and Jack stuff is reprinted over and over again oh for sure I mean yeah. it's just it is the core mythology that the DC cinematic universe even pulls from to this to this day with yes. Ragnarok so um, yeah just if that last thing was bad like I that's say Kirby revisited the New God saga with a conclusion and you know he had stepped away from a little from it for a little bit then came back to it and it just wasn't as remarkable as everybody had hoped you know he was saying. older I think he was losing his sight by then too so it was just rough and so I wouldn't have wanted to see, see there one final Stanley yeah, yeah kind yeah. of was like Chris Claremont and John Byrne mm. on X-Men The End Marvel mm. Joe Quesada really tried putting together Chris Claremont and John Byrne for X-Men The End yeah but unfortunately they couldn't come to agreement and they went with Chris Claremont and Sean Chen oh interesting to do X-Men The End and, okay. and Sean Chen great creator but he has no real history with the X-Men legacy mm-hmm. do you know what I mean and that's yeah. something like that would have been kind of nice to see you know they did Peter David and Dale Keown did Hulk The End yeah. You know, but like a Stanley Jack Kirby one final hurrah. But I said too, I said too, it just didn't work out that way, as you say. Like yeah. it may have not been the best thing for Kirby to do at that sure. point. But it was it was good to see that unlike Bob Kane, Stanley recognized how important Jack oh, Kirby man. was to the creation of all the characters that they did together. Dude, I've been digging into Bob Kane a little bit. That's a jerk. That is I hate saying it. No dirty, disrespect. Dirty, pool, man. Yeah. I'm Holy say too, moly. Jack Kirby got credit for every co-creation. Yeah. They're talking about the whole thing, too. Like, they didn't just have Stan Lee, writer, Jack Kirby, artist. It was Stan Lee and Jack Kirby present. Yeah, storytellers. And everything they did. Yeah, Do it would be I mean? like story pictures by, you know yep. what I mean? So there was a shared billing there where Bob Kane. Good Lord. Yeah. What an asshole. I know. Even if I hate you have the it. legal. And, of course, the guy's dead, so we're piling on his grave, but well, still. But and, and we're not saying anything anybody else hasn't said. Jim Stranko was actually. Oh, yeah. He punched him. He said oh, one yeah, time at a, right. at a Bob Kane appreciation party, yeah, or something right. like that. <laughs> but no, I mean Bob Kane. You could you could seal the deal on the legal side and still maintain the human side. Mm-hmm. But he didn't even do that. No, not at all. I mean, so, to hear Bill Finger died by himself in an apartment, yeah, with like no recognition or anything, yeah, and then pretty, pretty it, it took some guy that was a fan of yep. Batman to really dig, and then make sure that Bill Finger gets credited finding the family. Yeah, you know, Bob Kane had nothing to do with any of that. Unbelievable. Like that, do you know? And Bill Finger, obviously, they found those uh, convention, do you know, tapes of like where. Uh, that's like that. And now we have the co-creator or the creator of Batman, Bill Finger. And I was like, that, who? Like, who? we thought Bob Kane was going to show up here. Yeah, right. And Pretty it's nuts. just, uh, it's, well, it's very gr- unfortunate. Uh, his granddaughter's still out there, kind of. Yeah, she's like, she's yeah. she's now got, I guess, uh, residuals coming from D.C. finally now, right? 
And then also like that she like that guy and her made sure that Bill Finger's name was on every Batman book now and right. every movie. Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Nobleman? What's his last name? Something along those lines. And I, feel, quick, I feel horrible that like that. I'm forgetting his name right now too, but that well, guy was like a patriot for Bill Finger. I think Finger. he knows. I've, I, he would know that just by talking about him, it, it, we're doing what he hoped we would do, which is just mention Bill Finger at all. But, yeah, share uh, the word. Yeah, I want to say the guy's name is, come on, you t- we do this now every episode where we uh, search for something that... Uh, is not right in front of our head. You're right. Not uh, very interesting podcasting here, but... You guys still love us anyway. Let's talk about more eggs in your face. <laughs> <clears throat> Do you like fried, scrambled, um, poached, hard-boiled? Mark Tyler. I'm close. Mark Tyler? Mark Tyler. His middle name is Tyler. But we want to hear from you. Nobleman. I was right. Mark Nobleman. Tyler. Mark Tyler Noble. What is your favorite form of cooked egg? Or is it raw? <laughs> just like before you work out, it's like to be like Superman. You just pound five eggs and go hit the gym and like pound out 500 pound uh. deadlifts. <laughs> but eggs are the perfect food to complement the perfect meat, which they're both, I guess, both meat. from meats. Yeah. But eggs and bacon, man, you can't go wrong. <laughs> Cannot go wrong. It's the, it's the breakfast of superhero champions. Absolutely, man. You can't tell me that Clark Kent didn't pound bacon and eggs every morning before going to school. No, on the farm. Oh Absolutely. yes, fresh eggs every morning on the farm. Are you kidding me? I heard Clark Kent get any like cancer, the <laughs> prostate, or <laughs> his blood pressure was never too high. Like, Kryptonian blood has got to have its weaknesses too. Come on. <laughs> Eggs and bacon are great for the body. Well, Mark Tyler Nobleman is. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, you know, but to put a pin in what I was saying before, because that yes, comes out of the AMC, for how my... amazing that Robert Kirkman series is. Yes. As a geek, I'm getting two things right now. I'm getting the CW and I'm getting a- AMC. Mm-hmm. And if I'm into Gotham and some of those shows on Fox, I'd get Fox too. But like NBC, CBS, that's off the radar as far as any yes. cool shows that relate to my. No, I've been seeing one episode of that Young Sheldon thing. I keep on seeing the ads oh, for it. That. Is it any good? I haven't seen no. it once yet. Well, yeah. obviously you haven't watched all of our uh, Kirby for a Day episodes where Birdie calls Big Bang Theory the. Black yeah, I did face. see that. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't know he was talking about Young Sheldon. Too. Well, it's it's peripheral because that's a spinoff show. But yeah, yeah the black face of nerd. Culture. And Sheldon would never be calling a real estate company about trying to negotiate a lower rate for his parents. <laughs> He's no interest in that. He wants to find out how that rocket's going to get from his backyard to the moon with him on it before trying to call a mortgage company and trying to renegotiate a rate for his parents. I, that, maybe I didn't see the episode. Also, show, it was it was on one of the ads, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of going, "Oh, okay, this doesn't seem like Sheldon." Unless he's trying to find ways to save money to get that rocket up to the moon that he can ride on, because his parents will have more money from it. His money, his parents aren't going to be able to afford buying him a rocket. He's going to be smarter than that. So even that aspect of my trying to justify this young Sheldon Cooper's thinking makes no sense to me. You know, this kind of plays into my theory about the news doesn't know how to cover a Comic Con when it's when it's in town. Like mainstream entertainment doesn't know how to handle the rising success of comic book culture. Yeah, well, they're AMC and the CW to it. do. Dude. Yes, but when you have shows like uh, Young Sheldon or Big Bang Theory, they're kind of backhandedly making fun 
of that culture. Of us, you know what I mean? Just as Frasier is very backhandedly making fun of sophisticated culture, exactly. that's why we can laugh at Frasier and well, Niles they're, they're at the chase. cash off of our culture. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, you, you laugh at Nasia, uh, Frasier and Niles at the day spa yes. because they're, like, entranced by a stalk of wheat. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's hilarious because... It so contrasts the tackiness of their personalities and stuff yes. like the world that they're in. So it's making fun of sophisticates. Um, in other words, yeah, the Big Bang Theory, it's doing that for nerd culture, too. It's making fun of us by exploiting the easily uh, satirized tropes. Meanwhile, uh, it's capitalizing on the success of the scene. And the oh, culture. The background scenes are totally us. Yeah. When they're at the comic shop, when they're at the comic cons, when they're just playing their games inside of their apartments. Sure. Their conversations are totally us. Right. But at the same time, they kind of over-exaggerate it. Yeah, they they they, they don't play up the, the intelligence or the fun. Yes. I should say they really don't play up the fun of those conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, like a who could... Who would could Superman beat Thor? Can Thor beat you know? They, they don't play up that that they play up the social awkwardness. Yes, you know, and they make the guys seem uh, like lovable losers. When in actuality, so many of us aren't geeks that were beat up for our lunch money. We're regular people that just happen to like this stuff, and we have other likes and passions too. Who dresses like that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, like maybe maybe Sheldon a little bit, well, but like. Oh my gosh! Dude. I think uh, like, a lot I, of like Leonard, not Leonard. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, not Leonard. Who am I thinking of? Um, I don't the, know them. The, the I don't guy know the that's oh gosh, I'm just forgetting his name now. The one that's got the bowl cut and always dresses oh, like he's out of yeah. the 1970s. Howard. Yeah. Like, there's nobody that dresses like Howard in our culture, dude. Do you know what I mean? Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see it anywhere. Yeah, and the times I've gone here. to. The Comic Con, or just in my shop, even. Yeah, it could be. Regional, I haven't seen but... Howard walk in my shop. <laughs> no, no I, I can't say I've seen anybody that reminds me of Howard that's ever walked in our right. shop. Yeah, but... and there are uh, women in our culture as well. And they introduce that female character that's like Sheldon's girl. Yes, so um, that, Blossom. Yeah. But, oh gosh, you know. dude. See, I'm forgetting everybody's name right now. I haven't watched much of this season because it did kind of. Once again, it kind of jumped at shark with me a little bit, too, sure. as well. And I loved Big Bang Theory for a while because it was something that was, I thought, celebrating our culture in a way. But as it kept on going, it's kind of going like that. Oh, you know, they're kind of going their own direction now where right. it's kind of getting a little bit more like they're trolling us rather than actually celebrating us. That's, that's well put, yeah. Thank you. Here. Can we give you our... Oh, okay, I'll give you this now. So, anyway, yeah, speaking of your shop, uh, what's going on in your store? And I got some events coming up, so when we post this, folks can listen and know. Yeah. Uh, you got you got a series, you got a holiday art series? What are we calling it? Yeah, like the Arizona local artist holiday, or local creator holiday series. Okay. And it's going to be two creators every Friday and Saturday night leading up to December 23rd. January 23rd. December 23rd. December 23rd. Yes, and we're going to have Jan will come in on his own, which oh, will be okay. kind of cool because he Jan can't make Jan. it until January. Okay. Yeah, Jan Jan. that's true, dude. Jan and Jan, dude. That's <laughs> awesome. Jan Mark Quisenberg, if you're wondering, the Janimal is Prescott's finest artistic talent yeah. of the, the North or North Valley. Yeah, he's out Verde of Valley. And Cottonwood, the Verde Valley area. Yes, dude. Amazing. At the Janimal draws on Instagram. Oh my gosh, dude. If you're out in that area, you got to look him up. This guy is the most... 
entertaining, embracing person of the comic community I've ever met. Super, super nice guy. Um, but yeah, but we're doing two different creators a weekend because uh, we did our Brightest Saturday Festival that ended a little bit early on this past Saturday. And I said, you know what? We're going to do this one way or another. And uh, we're going to do it now as a local artist series this year and see how that goes. And then maybe reinvent Brightest Saturday into something that is actually a whole holiday long. Brightest Saturdays. Yes. Kind of a thing. I got to tell you, as an artist that's participating, I appreciate it because as much as I enjoy hanging out with my fellow creators, to me it's more about meeting fans at those events. Oh, for sure. And the fact that it'll just be a handful of creators at a time, two or three people apiece, makes it more intimate, easier to talk to people. I'm not trying to sell my comic while somebody else is trying to sell their comics. Now it's like, you know, Burger King versus McDonald's with us or something. Like, it's a really cool opportunity for your customers to come meet people and give them the time these artists deserve and vice versa. What I love about these glitter events, too, it's like it's not just our normal comic book customer. It's brand new people that are in the community just looking at the arts and the the glitters, the lights out there. And we're exposing the world of comic books to them possibly for the first time. Absolutely. And they get to meet you guys, which are real live comic book creators that are bringing stuff to the front line on a regular basis. And to me, that gets me excited because, hey, dude, you're not only in a comic shop, you're in a comic shop with comic book creators right Right. now. Right. And that, to me, was the most exciting part about putting together Brightest Saturday in the first place is like that. It's great that we people are walking in the shop to love what they already love, but we want to get new people excited about what is happening in the world of comics. That's what these nights do. Here's what I want to say on behalf of the artist community, Ken, and to you and every uh, shop owner that does something like this. You are in such an advantageous position here in downtown Glendale that you get to take advantage of these community events. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's a handful of work in and of itself. You're getting customers that you've never seen before asking questions that they They have nothing to know about. They they have no knowledge. So you have to, you have extra staff in there to help accommodate the workload and whatnot. You don't have to have artists show up to do this. You have enough work on that with that event alone. So I just want to say thank you for doing this. No problem. Because yeah. you don't have to. You don't have to do this. You're not charging us artists to do this as far as a table fee goes. Yes. Um, well, it's the difference between sitting on the fence and just hoping that everything just is going to keep on going status quo and that you're happy where you're at. And there's something about getting off the fence and trying what can we do to keep this community growing at its peak right now. Right. Because this peak is not going to last forever. It's no. going to go back to being normal comic book readers again. Sure. But if we're not exposing people that are interested because right. they see it everywhere right now, we're never going to grow the long-term health of this industry once video games become the new hot thing. Sure. For movie making, yeah. or once um, the next genre where like Stranger Things, Dungeons Dragons ideas may right. become the next big thing in movie making. Right. There's tons of other good genres that could be making movie and Hollywood attention right now. Well, and you know what? But we're comic books are there. it right now. Well, we're arguably already there because you could make the argument that hey, if you loved uh, Thor Ragnarok, you're going to really dig Stranger Things. Yes. People say that to one another in conversation. They don't say if you love Thor Ragnarok, you might love Thor 
comic books. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not as much anyway. So you are tapping into uh, that that cultural faucet right now, and at the same time, opening your doors so artists like us can become a part of that conversation with our independent work. So again, I just want to say thank you because you don't have to do that. You have no enough work to do to put up with us two coming in and our rock star mentality of where's my table? I want to sit over there. You don't have to do that. And so I appreciate it, man. Very much. Like, I appreciate your guys' talent. Oh, thanks. Not something like that said too. It's like, it's literally, I know it sounds like too altruistic, like, Oh, we're a bunch of love you, love you buddies. But it's, (laughs) that's what it takes the community to grow. Absolutely. And not just like one or two people, but anybody that's interested in being part of it, contact me. So I said too, I don't, just because I'm not reaching out to you doesn't mean that I don't care. But I have, as Russ says, I'm running a business at the same time. He's got a family for crying out loud. so, Anybody interested? Like yeah. Ben Warner, he contacted me this week and said, hey, can I be part of what's going on? I said, you Boom. know what? I got an open spot on the 23rd. It's like Boom. that. I only have one person. You're in. Yeah. I didn't say, no, Ben, you're not part of our group. <laughs> it's like that. Whatever type of things that are going out in the community that may feel like that you're not welcome, please reach out to me. Very cool, Because that's what this is all about. It's a community. It's not about being in one shop or one more or less click. It's about you guys getting your talent out to as many people as possible. There you go. There you go. Awesome. Well put. Of course, now that our podcast is coming to an end, the loud table sitting next to us is leaving. The restaurant is completely empty. Wait a minute. I thought that was our gallery of people listening to our show. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're getting up early to beat Thank traffic. Thank you, guys. We'll be back again. They want to beat traffic because of the big crowds. They're going to be leaving when we're done here. Yes. So now it's going to be quiet for like the last two seconds of our show. But uh, here's what I got going on, man. Amazing Arizona Comics is uh, on tour. I'm going to be at a place tonight, so when people hear this, they won't get to see me because this will have already happened. Um, there will be video footage. Though. There will be video footage, I'm sure. I'll record That's myself. Look for that my video vanity. footage. Uh, I'll be at uh, the Palo Verde Lounge in Tempe on December 7th with Birdie nice. for a drink and draw. And oh, I'll that's be at cool. your spot on the 16th uh, for uh, the Glendale Glitters Holiday Artist Showcase. So, I mean, uh, I got three things going on this month at least right now because, you know, we were talking about Comic Cons and, and uh, how they affect this scene. I can't count a Comic Con. I got to do whatever it takes to get my work in front of as many different kinds of people as possible. Yeah, that's what I tell people. I said, too, just like that point just a couple seconds ago was like, as a creator, you should never limit yourself to one venue. Right. That's one like, type of venue. Yeah. Get out there and make yourself out there at coffee shops, comic shops, libraries, bookstores. Talk to anybody. Show them what you got. Right. Because they're looking for new people to pull on their doors too. But sure. if they don't know you exist or you're kind of afraid that they didn't ask you first, they may not be interested, you're never going to know. Right. And you're missing opportunities. I think that's what we've been talking about this whole time, Ken, is opportunities. Yes. Are they seized or do we let them pass us by? Whether mm-hmm. we're the governor of a city or just a little comic book shop uh, oh. owner or creator yes, waiting for the culture to embrace us as it seems to be doing now. You hmm. said governor, didn't you? Did I did you, say did you see that? Did you see the or governor? The governor. Yeah, did you see Walking Dead? That I did the, see uh, In the previews this month, the new previews just dropped this past Wednesday. Yeah. It shows that the new era of Walking Dead is starting the comics. Ooh. There's a new female governor. Really? Yes, she oh. looks like stormtrooper looking guards. Oh, really? It looks awesome, dude. It's like it's almost like Empress Palpatine looking, but oh, she's like she looks like a Hillary Clinton type of look though. Okay. Well, and so it'll be interesting to see like where they go on Walking Dead is like whether this experience with the governor will be any different than the previous experience. Hmm. And uh, it looks pretty cool. I said too, they're just a little bit of complicated information there and so too <laughs> pick up comics when you're in next time through all kinds of good things going on in marvel dc image dark horse 
boom, aftershock. We carry the gamut of them. Valiant, but you guys, Archie. Yes, Valiant, Archie. It's, oh, and we're going to do our Monkey's Day. Our monkeys yes, Monkey's Day is yeah, coming up. January 17th. Mm-hmm. It's a Wednesday. The Monkeys are going to be in the Archie's number four. Oh, my gosh, dude. It's going to be awesome. I am giddy with excitement over this. Yes. I'm telling you, order me every variant cover. There is no price too great. I want them all. Okay, cool. Uh, unbelievable. And we'll do that in the store, too. We'll talk about that the next time we, no we problem. record. My name's Russ. My name's Ken. And you're listening to Drawn, Drawn to, to Comics at Bitsy, Bitsy Mama's. Mama's. <laughs> Thanks, guys. More bacon. <laughs>